Live from Red Bull Studios, New York. Hey guys, I'm Mary H.K. Choi, and this is Hey Cool Job, a podcast about jobs. We're recording today in the polar vortex of Fashion Month at Red Bull Studios in Chelsea, New York. Our next guest is my dear friend, Karen Rose Gold, an accessories designer who invented the wheel when it comes to embellishing sunglasses with ornate flowers, lace, chains, and spikes. She has graced the cover of Time Out's most stylish New Yorkers issue, was once the face, or rather the hair, of Sebastian Professional and counts Lady Gaga, Katy Perry, Estelle, Rihanna, Missy Elliott, and numerous others amongst her star-studded clientele. Basically, she's got one cool-ass job. Hi, Karen. How are you? Hi, Mary. I'm good. Excrement. Um, Thank you so (laughs) much for joining us today. Um, So I'm you know, I gave our listeners a little bit of some bio information on you, but tell me in your words what your main hustle is. My main hustle. So I have an eyewear line called Amourir. It's been around since, I guess it started as a hobby at the end of the fall, winter of 2008. Um, and it's been a, a full time, uh, it's been my sole source of income since um, summer 2009. Okay. Wow. That's actually like a quick turnaround for profit profitability oh it was super it, my 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 career trajectory trajectory has been incredibly lol <laughs> yeah the ascii shrug just to give everyone a little bit of background who may not know you or your work um karen well you're basically responsible for like you know some pretty identifiable eyewear silhouettes like the sort of like you know sunglasses like almost like wayfarers with like that gold chain around mm-hmm. it that sort of hangs down almost like a croaky I guess like, yeah <laughs> that's you um and also like lace overlays mm-hmm. or like you know just like very sort of baroque and ornate sunglasses all the floral stuff all the floral yeah and so you know do you think that you do you feel like you get enough credit for being a pioneer I know that American designers often don't get as much IP protection as like European designers do you know I, I definitely I get very little I get credit from from you know, from from my friends, I get credit from um, from stylists that have worked with me. But as far as you know, as far as as media recognition, and as far as just sort of uh, you know buyers and things being aware of of what I've done in my body of work, even though I've been around for a long time and I've gotten I've gotten some really great honors in 2011. I was a Vogue Italian New Talent. Um, I just showed with them in Milan uh, in July as an emerging designer. Um, I, you know, I've I've heard from people that have worked at magazines that have said, "Hey, we're you know, we're we had a, m- a meeting. We're doing a trend page on embellished eyewear, and you're not featured. But when I brought you up, the accessories editor credited you for starting the trend. But they're not featuring you because your name isn't big enough." So, right. you know, and, and those th- and I'm not, you know, I, I didn't again, if I'd gotten into this because I wanted accolades, then I would have named, you know, I would have made it more centric. I would have called it like the Karen Rose something, something. Right. But it's it's an interesting for me as someone, especially as someone who sort of studied pop culture history in college. It's interesting. It's interesting to see, I guess, how the bread is made. Sure. So let's go back a little bit. What was the galvanizing moment 
when you were like, fuck this, I'm quitting my day job. Because when I met you, you were in marketing. <laughs> and, you know, I know that you have a John Mayer gold record hanging in your bathroom. So this is not a platinum record. Oh, it was platinum, a John. Oh, a pardon. <laughs> Room for squares did very well. Yes, it's true. Um, so, yeah, like, what was that moment? Were you, were you crying in a bathroom one day? Were you, I mean, what was that moment where you're like, fuck, like, I, I have to do do this other thing? Well, I actually didn't. The the other thing that I wanted to do came after the galvanizing moment. So as as some people know, some people don't. I was very sick for a long time. I was diagnosed with ulcerative, ulcerative colitis in 1999. Um, I had a very severe case, um, which ulcerative colitis, if you don't know, is a chronic intestinal disease where your body... Um, Things like food is like an invasive body, right? You know what it is? It's it's an autoimmune condition, mm. so your body just attacks itself. And oh, that sounds fun. Oh, it was delightful. Um, in you know, and in, it, it's character building. In yeah, this yeah. case, um, my large intestine developed ulcer-like lesions um, and hemorrhaged vi- uh, violently. And then you know, anytime you eat food, which you have to do to stay alive. I know. Um, I can't believe we haven't fixed that yet. I'm still waiting. Such a like, bummer. when is the Jetsons bill coming? Also, it's Fashion Week, so <laughs> who has the time? I'm saying. Um, so yeah. So that. So you were sick. I was very sick. Um, very, very, very sick. I my quality of life, and you know, when you when you're chronically ill, and you're how old at this point? I was 16. It was the uh, oh fun. Oh yeah. So it was, r- raging hormones plus lesions. It was it was the first semester of my junior year of high school. That's so good for your um, sense self-esteem. of self-esteem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. The beginning of 2008, I started um, a very intense, it was like my eighth or ninth drug therapy. Um, so nine years in, I started a very intense infusion therapy that I, I was going to Long Island and getting, a, oh, man, it was like, I forget how many cc's, a, a many cc's of this drug called uh, Remicade, and it put me into remission. And so basically you're like, holy shit. Like, I was like, holy shit. This is I'm, what I feel like when I'm normal. Kind this, of? this is this is how it is to live a normal life. This is how it is to not have not be sick for the first three hours of your day. Right. This is how it is to like this is how it is to be able to And did that just like free up so much mental and emotional real estate that you were like, Oh wow, now I can be prolific and here are some sunglasses. <laughs> like how like what like walk us through that. Well, at, the first thing, and this is sort of the reason why I why I left my day job, um, I was very much expecting it. I had a post-traumatic mental breakdown. Oh, you're, to where your disease defined you and you felt weird about it? or To where you just sort of sit, like, after you've after your life has sort of taken on this one, has had limited, my life right, had limited me in such an intense way for for nine very formidable years, to then not have that be a thing, you just go, oh my God, I can finally live and I all of oh, I feel like all like, this time was wasted. Was it like postpartum depression almost? Or was it like I have the tiger, I thrill of the fight, and then afterwards you're like, holy shit, that was so intense and you kinda wanna cry. Yeah. Mm, a little eye of the tiger, but more just like you you just sort of like hate everything for Jesus. a little bit. Why? Yeah, because you just go it, you're both so happy and so depressed at the same time because you're like, "Oh my god, I can finally live live a life." Oh, but it, like it, this it, isn't the life I want to be living. Right. How do I get out of How this? How do I fix this? How do I fix this? What do I even want to do? Cuz oh, I hadn't shit, spent yeah. any time thinking about what I wanted to do. And so I was at my the my last office job 
Um, it was a small music marketing company in, in Newark, New Jersey. I was reverse commuting very, every day. Very, very glamorous. Um, working, much to my delight, uh, working with Real Big Fish as one of my artists. <laughs> <laughs> I was so excited. As we date ourselves. <laughs> and um, basically went into work every day for three months trying not to cry. Like I, it, for Been me. Been there. Because the job, as, as wonderful as the environment was and as great as my boss was, the work was so much, it was, it was not anything I wanted to be doing. And finally, like it was really the day I went in that I was like, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm going to quit. I'm, I can't do this. I'm going to quit. I much to, I guess, dumb luck. I got fired. So, oh shit. Did you have severance? I got unemployment. Yeah, it was great. Sick. Um, <laughs> well, here's the thing. How much in your bank account did you have when you were like, I'm going to quit? Like, what's your like comfort zone? Because for me, it's like personally, it's like six months of rent and living expenses. I don't have a comfort zone. Um, Fascinating. Yeah, I don't have a comfort zone. I had a few thousand dollars. I had less than $10,000. That's for sure. Okay. But I knew and, and actually the my boss, when he when he let me go, he was, you know, because I hadn't told and at any of my jobs, I hadn't told them what was going on with me. Nobody oh, knew. You, nobody knew you were sick. Nobody knew, no. Um, and so I told him, and because he, you know, we had had a really great relationship. And so when he, like, when he let me go, I just, I, I broke down in his office and I was like, this is what's been going on. This this is why I haven't been, like, showing up for, for you in this job. And he gave me the, some of the best advice that I've ever gotten. He's like, you know, you need to take a year. He's like, your life is really long and you're still really young. Take a year, work at a coffee shop, work at a store, do something that for you isn't a career. That's just a job. It's just an, something that'll like pay your rent and take the time to really think about what you want to do. Did you do that? Um, yeah. And well, I, I was going to and then stuff happened. So, <laughs> but, you know, I, I left I left that um, I left. I literally I left that job. Went, took the train to the West Village, mm -hmm. went to NYU's graduate schools, looked through all of their programs. This is all th the day I got fired. Found a program in a master's in costuming history because I, I, I've i always loved fashion, but I never wanted to be a clothing designer. Right. And I never wanted to, you know, I hadn't really found any jobs in fashion that I wanted. I didn't want to do marketing. I didn't want to do PR. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't have the skill sets um, I didn't have the skill sets to do like tech packs um, <laughs> or the desire or the desire. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and but I've always I've always been fascinated with hit. I mean, I, I may I majored, if you want to call it majoring in pop culture history, like I've always been fascinated in why things are the way they are mm. specific, especially clothing. Right. Um, so you research all this stuff. I research all this and stuff. And you're like, OK. Like, yeah. I'm like, all right, cool. I'm going to apply for this. I know how to apply for schools. Like it, I know how application processes yeah, work. Yeah, yeah. I like you know my 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 NYU transcripts were really good. My right. undergrad transcripts were great. So chances of me getting in are like eighty percent. Did you get in? Yeah, of course. Okay. Um, and then I sort of spent a year. Like I helped a friend start a vintage business. Um, I you know, then I sort of accidentally wound up getting a job like as a shop girl at Patricia Field mm. and and Patricia Field for those who are uninitiated is a uh, store it, Patricia Field is is both a person in a store she uh the store which is closing soon um, I know which is crazy crazy and insane so sad um 
but the store has been around uh, since the 60s. And her claim to fame, we would probably say, was that she did all the costuming for Sex and the City. That's, that's the thing that she's most... Sort like of SEO known for. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I wound up getting a job there working part-time. And between that and my unemployment checks, I was able to just like skirt by. Mm. I was, you know, it was really like living check to check. Sure. And I was so happy. I was broke. I think it was like the fattest I'd been because I could also eat for the first time right, in a long right, time. Right. <laughs> I was the brokest and fattest. And I was so happy because I was finally like just getting to live. Yeah. I hadn't ever, I hadn't lived since I was 16 and I'm now 28, 27, yeah. right. something like that. Um, And so... I, you know, I, I got found out that I got into school and and then how does that all transmogrify into sunglasses? I've always been creative. I've always been creating um, when, I, you know, when I was my mom still has all my old Barbies where I like made clothing for them mm -hmm. and painted their faces and like dyed their hair with markers. Um, I, you know, was always embroidering or encrusting or like taking apart and putting back together mm -hmm. um i messed around on like my you know my grandmother's sewing machine a few times um and so i just sort of went back to creating you know i had this free time and it was something that brought me joy and you don't necessarily need a lot of money to to refinagle to cut up a shirt and right. put it back together um and you know and i'd been i'd been bedazzling all of my cell phones since i got one mm -hmm. um I still have my Motorola flip phone with it, the crystal, the straight edge crystals on the back of it. Nice. Um, Nailed to the X forever. Oh, forever and ever. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, I I'd broken. I was never big into sunglasses, but I had and I actually really wanted to get into millinery. I wanted to learn how to do hats. Mm -hmm. um, and I uh, I had never been into sunglasses, but I always had like one pair of like cheap sunglasses they were always really big mm -hmm. they were always a little ott yeah and like the saint mark's john's like yeah exactly. yeah exactly and i had broken my last pair around the same time that i thought i was gonna finally get a blackberry mm. and so i bought all these crystals to encrust this blackberry and then for some like one reason or another i didn't wind up getting this blackberry and i was like i you know i bought these crystals i might as well like it would, I guess they look cool on these sunglasses. Like that could be a thing. Right. Because um, you don't want to just leave So it's your... like the discovery of penicillin. It's kind of an ass backwards sort of. A yeah, exactly. <laughs> Completely. Right. It was full, full on mistake. And then how does that go on to being discovered by like, you know, like Rihanna or whatever? Well, I wore them, you know, it was very much like right place, right time, mm. right attitude kind of a thing. I wore them. I wore, you know, the one pair that I had into the store, you know, because they were my fields. sunglasses. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the accessories buyer and the consignment buyer like lost and i mean at this point like i'd been wearing them around a little bit um and i would get like chased down the street by like you people know, asking where'd you get those yeah and I what was, are like, those yeah it, yeah it, it was it was very much the what are those of 2008 um <laughs> and so they I, freaked out people yeah they freaked out and they were like where did you get those oh my god we need those i'm like oh, i made them you know like a week ago we're like, okay, cool, make more. We're gonna sell them. And I was like, what do you mean we're gonna sell them? So that was your first order. Yeah, and I mean it was, and it was consignment, but I didn't, I didn't care. Uh, consignment, for those who don't know, is when you bring, when you make uh, something and you bring it into a store and they pay you if it sells. Right. And if it doesn't, how sell, did you, you get decide the price point? Well, at first, I, I didn't know how to price things. Of course so, not. Yeah, because who does? Yeah. And a, a friend of mine who does, who did jewelry for a long time. She 
had me over to her house and showed me how to make a cost sheet. Huh. And where you sort of, because I was pricing my stuff for like $100. Mm. And it's, you know, and I'm spending $30 on crystals and it's taking me however long it's taking me. And right. she's like, so you're making $10 a pair. <laughs> and I was like, this oh. This is adorable. Yeah, yeah, I was like, totally. oh, that doesn't work. And so she showed me how to make a cost sheet. And I've, you know, I've adapted my cost sheets along the What's way. What's your price point now? Well, so I have, I've now over uh, maybe, when was it, a year and a half ago, or I guess f as of fall 15, fall 16, four collections ago, I uh, launched, I guess, my bespoke line. Mm. So now that ranges retail from like four fifty to eight fifty. Okay. Um, and then the, I guess the costume or the more accessible pieces are between 200 and 204, 200 to 450. Yeah. Mm. So in terms of like now knowing everything that you know now, how much starting capital would you suggest someone have if they were going into like creating an accessories line? Oh, man. I mean, that's that's honestly a tough question for me to have. I will tell you my first round of my first round of productions when I made frames mm. was something like. $30,000. Jesus. And then buying... Also, that makes sense. I don't know why I exclaimed Jesus. It just seems like a lot to it's like come out of pocket. It's, yeah. it's a lot to write. A ch it's a yeah. lot to do a bank transfer for $30,000. Um, you know, and then when I had to order my cases, um, I or you you can't just order like 100 cases. You have to order 3,000 cases. Right, because nobody's going to spend time on 100 cases for yeah, you at the, the factory. You, yeah. Nobody does it. Um, so, you know, that's that with like a cleaning cloth and a soft pouch. Oh, right, because that's your world. Like you have to actually pay for those little like grow grain. Mm -hmm. The microfiber <laughs> I mean, the, cleaning cloth. Yeah, 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 yeah. With the little yeah, yeah. edges. So, the pinking you know, shear edges. <laughs> yeah. So like three thousand cases is like eight thousand dollars. Right. Um and Jesus. Yeah. But did you, did you get outside funding for like your first actual collection? No. Um, you didn't raise around between friends and family. No, yeah. no, 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 no. Uh, uh, much to my, uh, much to my dismay, too much bullish pride. Um, <laughs> no, you know, I mean, I think that, and that's one of the things with me. Like, I didn't, I didn't, I had the capital to make a few pieces. Like that was how many? Oh, I mean, when I I started with four. Okay, I made four individual units that went into the store, and then they sold. Um, I mean, I think it's a really I'm personally not one who advises against, you know what, like quit your job, take all of your money, produce all of this shit and then hope that you sell it. That to me isn't a logical way to go about things. Mm. I think it's you know, it's it's really tough. Um, it's, you know, for me as someone who with with the way that I design, for me, it's so important to really push them. like I'm not making stuff that is necessarily commercially sellable. Right. So, you know, if I had started off thinking, oh, I need to, you know, especially with eyewear, with eyewear in most factories, you you're you need three hundred units. Three hundred units in three colorways. So it's a hundred like a hundred red cat eyes, a hundred white cat eyes, and a hundred turquoise cat eyes. Right. Whatever whatever your mix is going to be. Um and if you design in that way where you're thinking, oh, my God, I just sunk all this money. Now I have to sell all of this stuff. 
it's a really backwards way of it working. really hog ties your vision it does it's it like does. retrofitting according to sales which you know is just not really the point of what you do right and i mean and if you're the type of person who if you're the type of person where fashion really is a business to you mm. if you don't care about the creative the, if you don't care about the creative side then by all means if you go you know what there's a hole in the market for this i'm going to plug it i'm going to plug this hole mm-hmm. then great but you know i'm not doing that with 700 dollars bespoke encrusted you know pearl and floral weird sculpture things. things yeah yeah so here's my question is it scary to go it alone like you weren't in you know like you you did you took a design course but you weren't like immediately scooped up by the cfda which is the council of fashion designers of america or like their various incubator programs, or you weren't like publicly anointed by Anna Wintour, the editor in chief, or what is she, the creative? I think she's editor in chief of Vogue. Still, plus of the creative, whatever, of Hande Nast. Like, what was kind of the path for you? And does that actually free you up? Because a lot of the criticism is that like a lot of design is so geared towards like profitability and accessibility. Yeah, I mean, you know, for me, I wasn't even, when it started, first of all, when it started, I it was a full time hobby for me for a long time. And I was very resistant in calling myself a designer because I think that those are the kind of things that need to be earned. Mm. You can't, you know. Yeah, I have the same thing with like being a writer. And I definitely never call myself a journalist because there are war reporters. It's so (laughs) LOL for me to call myself that. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like even I've started doing a little bit of writing and I don't say like I'm a writer now. It's like, no, I write some stuff for these. Yeah, sure. So the mantle of designer has to be earned. Yes. So, you know, I'm sorry. What was your question again? I just needed to rail against that for a minute. (laughs) No, just basically that like the cheese stands alone. Like you you have you, you do prioritize your designs in terms of like artistic expression versus accessibility or profitability and like I was just wondering if it's kind of scary that you're not in an incubator program or um, you know these other sort of like things that you know hold a lot of influence and might ultimately influence your end product you know not I never went into it I never went into it thinking that that was a possibility to begin with I never went into designing or to you know making eyewear thinking that I would I never went into it thinking that I would really be selling beyond you know a few pieces here and there at Pat Field I never thought that there would be celebrities I never thought that I would be selling in you know some of the best high-end retailers in the U.S. and across the world um, and so I I didn't go in thinking like you know what I'm going to be the next I'm going to be the next great American eyewear designer like that wasn't Realist for me. Also, the things that I was doing was so, like, so opposite of any American eyewear brand or any eyewear brand. Period. At the time, yeah, totally. Yeah. So, at at, you know, speaking of your celebrity clientele, like, who was your first? Well, my first was Mariah Carey. Oh, shut up! That's such a good one. I know. In a music video with the Dream called "My Love," she wore a pair of like my third pair of glasses um, for all of um, I have the gif of it all of like a millisecond just like raising them off of her glorious face it was amazing um so she was my first and then Katy Perry was my second Mm. um and then there were like a few little people here and there but like if Katy Katy Perry was was uh, was in April it was around Passover (laughs) and 
in 2009. And then Rihanna must have been like June or July 2009. And, and at that point, like, how did that feel? Were you just like, this is it. I've made it. Like, everything's going to be like easy street. No, 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 no. I, I, I'm I'm a paranoid Jew. I never think this is it. I've made it. This is going to be easy well, street. Well, because people <laughs> confuse landing a celebrity client with like making it. And like from a business perspective, tell me why that isn't necessarily the case. Well, first of all, I mean, I've been I personally um, I have a brand ethos where I don't give anything away. Pieces are either borrowed and returned or they're bought outright. Oh, that's really important because that actually goes against everything in terms of like how that system works typically. Right? Yeah, I don't give anything away. Um, I think, you know, I've I've been in some major pop star hotel rooms and there's just been a room of gifts from designers. Why do I why me a self-funded like mm. l- tiny little thing? need to you're not going to be part of the gifting suite i don't need to be part of the gifting you're, suite. you're not the pop chips of <laughs> sunglasses no but i mean you know they're getting things from every right. high, every covetable high-end designer like why do i need to add my tiny little piece on like my sprinkle on top of that sunday i don't need to do that so like in terms of that being the general practice like do you because there, there, everybody knows that there are certain artists who are like notorious for not returning stuff or else trashing stuff on set. Like, do you deliberately just avoid loaning to them? Thankfully, I know specifically of at least one of those people that you're talking yes, about. Yes, I'm sure we know. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, Go on. I have, I have much to my delight never been asked. Oh right, because that's an uncomfortable situation. Yeah, yeah, but but if there's if there is somebody that I think might be a little bit shysty, then I make sure to get credit card information. Oh for nice, mm-hmm. that's that's actually really good. And like, how do you, how are you unafraid to ask for that? Um, I I mean you do, you just have to you, when. I'm I'm afraid of a lot of things because I'm an artist and we're naturally just sort of like insecure people. Mm. Um, but if you're going to come for my money, I'm not going to be afraid to protect it. Right. Um, ha- well, have you ever been straight up sort of robbed loaning to a stylist or a shoot? And like, what do you do about it? And can you recoup? Like what? Like you, citizens arrest. Like, what do you do? <laughs> you know, some I've much to my like shock and delight. It's written. It's been maybe less than five times. Oh, geez. Yeah. That's really good karma. Really good karma. Um, Please don't have that come and like bite me in the ass. I know. I'm like knocking. I'm I'm knocking on wood. I came ahead. Um, You know, one time, one time I just sort of had to suck it up. Yep. Um, You know, and then most of the time I've been able to at least get something back, even if it like. For instance, there was a music video that was filmed uh, in August Mm. and a pair didn't come. An $850 pair of sunglasses didn't come back. It took me until February to get paid for it. And because they had already gone, they had already gone over budget by the time I had gotten the correct contact, even though I'd been reaching out to these people like multiple times a week for a few months. Um, God, I had to. That sounds so tedious. Like I get so annoyed by the the invoicing lifestyle that I lead, and just chasing samples must be like a whole other oh, type of it's, hell. It's exhausting. I mean, I'm again, I'm very lucky that most of all, really all of the people that I work with in sort of major capacities, mm. like if I'm doing custom work or whatever, I'm always 
I'm always I always get paid for that work. Right. But sometimes And that's unusual too, right? In terms of getting paid for custom work, a lot of people just do stuff kind of like on like the strength or like for like promotion. At at the beginning for the first number of years I did a lot of that. I did mm-hmm. a lot of that. Um you know, and and that I mean, and sometimes you have to do it. There are some designers that take advantage mm-hmm. of that. I definitely I've definitely been taken advantage in that regard, but I in it was a mutual like for me it was beneficial enough that even though I recognized that I was being used Mm. I just sucked it up and did it you know not only did it give me some really great exposure but I was also doing work um because I do some non-eyewear stuff that I'm sure we'll get to later um but I was doing work that was really it was almost like a a creative a mental exercise in creativity And there was so much value in that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're never going to it's sort of it's, it's almost like homework. Like you're never going to do those assignments on your own. Sure. Um, so when somebody says like, hey, make a headpiece like, hey, take this thing and turn it into this other thing. Like, right. oh, and so do it in like eight hours. You know? Yeah. So basically bedazzling or the type of sort of embellishment work that you do is um you know, like kind of like a universal donor. It's like typo negative. And can, and someone could be like, hey, like, why don't you make me a disco ball sweatsuit for a Missy Elliott WTF video, which yes. is something that you do. Yes. <laughs> and, and also you do things like masks or like Lady Gaga shoes and mm-hmm. like sort of one off pieces. And you, you're saying that you do get paid for for the, those things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how what is the lead time on something like a sweatsuit for Missy Elliott's video? The sweatsuit. I mean, the sweatsuit lead time was that was like, like so. That was like she was basically dressed as a human disco ball. Yeah. And you I mean, how many little mirror tiles was that? I uh, it was something like 30 pounds of mirror tiles. I'm and not sure how I don't I'm not sure how many. How long did the whole thing take? The whole thing. You know, I actually that that week was a crazy week. Um, it was I was going to Paris for market that week. Mm-hmm. So I only did maybe like a day and a half worth of labor. And my old intern um, came in and like pinch hit. Is, is Am I using that term correctly? I have no idea. Okay. I'm so bad at sports. <laughs> Me too. They're garbage. Um, <laughs> he, uh, he came in and, and, you know, whatever, did that last inning pitch yeah. thing for me. However, whatever that is. Um and so the labor on that was probably like 30 hours. 30 man hours. And for something yeah. like that, is that like a, a lump sum honorarium or is it a par, per hour thing? Like, how does that work? I'm able to I'm I'm lucky that I'm able to invoice at the end once the project is done. I think there is, you know, which which is a really big advantage because there is a huge trust. Yeah. Situation. Be, yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, one of the reasons why people continue to work with me, because I've been working with Missy Elliott's stylist. Um, Misa. Misa Hilton, Hilton. Legend. Legend. Who, by the way, like has talked to me about styling the crush on you video. And I just like, cry, I just cried. I was like, <laughs> oh, my God, what? Stop. I can't. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I've been working with Misa and her assistant Jai since um, since the summer. Um, because Misa had actually pulled some sunglasses for Mary J. Blige. They didn't get used much to my chagrin. Um, But she was like, oh, and I was like, yeah, just so you know, like if you ever need crystal work, like I do that too. She's like, oh, well, actually, like we could use stuff for Missy. Perfect. Um, And so I've been working closely with them. And, you know, I'm very lucky. I think one of the reasons why, you know, I have this repeat celebrity clientele is because, um, and this is just like the way I, I am as a person anyway. Like I'm really nice. I'm not going to sit here and, and gouge you on costs. Like I'm going to charge you what I'm worth, but I'm not going to like 
overcharge you because I know you have a budget. Right. And I do good work and I do it in a very short amount of time. Like if you need me, like the uh, when I hand painted Lady Gaga's um, bodysuit when she did her like H&M cheek to cheek opening, I got that bodysuit at noon and it was delivered to her stylist at eight. Jesus. So, you know, if you need me to do something like that, I can do it and I can do it well. How do you do you have any advice for people who have celebrity clients? Like, how do you navigate that relationship without sort of devolving into a thirst machine on social media or anything like that? It needs to be about the work. It it can't be about the person. Like Mm. when you you know, it's and that's sort of that's how I always treat it, too. Um, You know, I, I there are definitely some of my clients that I've become friendly with, you know, we'll, we'll have like short little friendships or, or just, right. Cause you and Rihanna at one point were like text buddies and I was yeah. like, that is the coolest thing ever. It was, it was the best. She's, she's, in, she's, in, she deserves every bit of, of, how do you feel about her designing for Puma? I mean, I, I think it's great. Um, actually a girl that I'm, that I'm friends with, um, Mel B, Melissa Batafianco. Mm. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Sorry, Mel. Um, she was the, uh, like head designer for that collection. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and no, I th- you know what I think that it's, I I I definitely feel a type of way about celebrities being creative directors, but I think that if there's, uh, if if there's a celebrity with an actual vision, right, um, and an aesthetic that you can sort of identify as yeah, being like and I singularly belonging to this exactly, person. yeah, um, you know, if if they have all of those, if there's an aesthetic, if there's a vision, if there's an idea that they want to. I guess, vocalized through a particular medium, then there's nothing wrong with that. Mm. Um, And then it's just a matter of the whatever label or company getting the right people behind it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Underwrite that and then sort of support it. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about Kanye? You know, as as someone who who was a pop culture theorist and studied (laughs) studied Guy Debord and the concept of the spectacle and French existentialism. Sure. I find it enthralling, but as just like a human and a fellow creative, I find it disgusting. So I'm really it's torn. like yeah, I'm wrapped and it's revolting. It's re- it's really but it's revolting. also just like fucking awesome. Yeah, like as yeah, like as a as an as an intell as as an intellectual, I I find it fascinating. But like I just think that he's. I just wish at my core that it was trolling on a global scale. Like, I wish there was like a kernel of just sort of that old school, like Franco Moschino, like, haha, look at what I can pull off. Because, you know, I think that if if the message was overarchingly the fact that he can make us ogle some really remarkably unremarkable shit, like clo- from a sartorial perspective. Yeah. Like that's, that's amazing. Like that's art. That's like a fucking installation. Yeah. That's, that's the concept of the spectacle. The spectacle is the idea of the spectacle for those who don't know is where you have something going on for like the sole purpose of other people to watch it. Sure. And everything can be a spectacle. Yeah. Like this could be considered a spectacle because like if you know like No, the sort of like bovine adoration yeah. thing is fucking cool. It's it's and cool. I love zombies and I love the internet. So like oh this God, is like up so my alley. But like I just don't know if that there is that even like skin of that on Because you know what? Like I I personally don't I don't have respect for people who take themselves seriously. Um, <laughs> what about expect, um, respect for people who ask um, Zuckerberg to call him on his birthday? <laughs> <laughs> and I also don't have respect for people who 
make who who have a big platform mm. and make these really really like irresponsible statements and then go back and say i i didn't mean it right also he's a fucking misogynist he ugh, yes he's but, a misogynist. That, but i feel like that's entire like that's like 90 minutes on a different show that is that, that is not I, even like yeah. we can just go over there and record one real quick yeah bit. so next um, podcast yeah con- totally so, why Kanye's a misogynist great so here's the thing so you are you have a studio a separate sort of office situation i remember what a huge deal that was when you're like this is gonna happen like yeah. what like why is it so important to you to have like a separate studio in terms of like work-life balance or whatever that is. Oh, number of reasons. Um, I mean, when I moved the studio out of your home, your beautiful home, my my beautiful my beautiful home. It was a multicolored home. Now it's a black home, but I did that on purpose, and I love it. Um, when I moved out of my studio, um, there were a number of reasons why it was pretty necessary. One, it 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 sucks going to the bathroom in the middle of the night and like tripping over boxes. It there's definitely you know it sucked for me. Because it had been like two years or so, mm. um, two maybe two and a half, three, and it su- like it started to really get to me where like I would wake up, and the work was there, and right. I had an assistant coming to my house and interns coming to my house, um, and for me because when you're when you're doing design work like that, um, and you know, and it's not it would have been different if I had a separate room right like if it was like in your of a, living room area my, got yeah like it was my to your office yeah it was my dining the the dining alcove or mm. whatever and so you just sort of always feel like you need to be working because you can never not look at it like when you're hanging out just watching tv or you have friends you i couldn't have fr- you know you can't have friends over right um i mean and also the type of work you do which is really painstaking in terms of like it's your hands and your eyeballs training on a very finite sort of piece of real estate for hours on end to where you close your eyes and all you see is fucking swarovski oh yeah, yeah. you're just your eyes are bloodshot and you're like why are these in the shape of like crystal diamantes <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of yeah i mean like i feel like you and i are in a similar position a lot where we have so much homework because so much of the work is dependent on us doing it ourselves. Yeah. Um, how many collections do you make in a year? I do two collections a year. I um, for and which is actually a lot for sunglasses. Most eyewear designers do one. Right, because I would think it'd be like for summer. Yeah. Well, it actually the the eyewear mark if you're if you're only doing wholesale, mm. um, eyewear markets. There's one in Milan at the beginning of March. There's one in New York in the middle of March. There's sort of like there are two times when markets are mm. big, but and so sometimes designers will re- or you know brands will release new colorways, right? Um, but people really don't do like full. It take because full collections. Yeah. Okay. And you know, going back to like having a studio and mm-hmm. like making your work feel like this other thing and not yeah. just invade all your personal space. Like, how do you? How do you determine your deadlines when you're the one sort of like, you know, having to self-manage in accordance to them? I mean, you know, it it definitely helps to as much as I hate going by the fashion calendar, like it helps to go by the fashion calendar calendar and you go, you know, I'm doing a I, I'm doing a tr- I was with the showroom for a long time. So it was either, you know, I'm the showroom market happens this, yeah. at this time Um you know, for me now, I'm doing trade shows. Uh, I do a, tr- two tra- a trade show in Paris twice a year. Um, and so it's, you know, I need these things ready for this time. Um, and, you know, you just sort of you you kind of have to make your own calendar and just stick. To, I stick to the calendar because I know how hellish it becomes when you don't. Right. Um, 
And so it's sort of like in the last, this is the second season now where instead of doing this thing where I'm sort of stuck at work until like three, four in the morning, like getting things finished in time, I lay things out and plan things out so that, you know, I'll go to work like an hour earlier and stay an hour later and go in every Saturday right? so that when it gets time to like, when the deadlines happen, I'm not sitting here like on zero sleep for a week because I need to get shit done. Right, you've just basically brutalized yourself enough times that you that you've made I know those, better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so, talk, so you t- you talked about how you were with a showroom for a while. Mm-hmm. What is like? I gather you're not with a showroom anymore. No. And so, what what is the sort of showroom relationship? Is it almost like kind of having an agent? Like how what what is that world? sort of comprised of yeah so the a showroom um what a showroom is it's a it's a company um that represents a number of brands and you know each brand has their their i don't know you know the number of sales agents and number of brands per showroom can vary there are some showrooms that have like one sales agent per brand there are some showrooms that have like one sales agent with 12 brands. Is it like having a publicist? Kind of, well, publicist, sh- publicist, you can have, you can like buy or like you can sign with a publicity firm and that's different. Your showroom will do things like press loans every now and again, but for the most part, a showroom is usually just for sales. Got it. Yeah. So what I didn't like about my showroom and I find this to be the case for a lot of people in a lot of showrooms is that they you know showrooms because especially if they're understaffed tend to favor certain brands more it's just like the stuff they'll that that sells they'll be sort of like more into right basically yeah exactly yeah. and you know and they're happy because they're getting a monthly retainer from you and how much is that monthly retainer for me it was 350 pounds of like a PR retainer, Mm. which meant that I was getting like six press placements a year. How much of a cut do they take Um, of each sort of like batch of sales? uh, Depending, some some take 12%, some take 15. Um, I don't think there are any that take 20. I feel like 12 to 15 is usually the So it's almost like being an artist and having a gallerist. Yeah. Got it. Exactly. So and then is the other model to do trade shows? Is like yeah. is that the sort of flip? And why why do you find that sort of more beneficial? Um, it's more beneficial to me because well, there's a I mean, it's nice to sort of temper the costs and not go, Oh, hey, I don't have to pay these people like I don't have to pay them a commission. I don't have to pay a monthly retainer for being in this showroom. Mm. Um, I get to I I've always been someone who I've I've always been a bit I don't want to say a bit of a control freak that sounds bad <laughs> but I've always been someone who one of the things I didn't like about my showroom is that they there was no transparency with what was going on just between, how hard they were working for right you. how hard they were working what buyer's response was if they were even doing their follow through and so it's nice for me to go, to meet the you know like when I first started doing the trade shows I, I was meeting buyers that I that had been buying for me for four or five seasons. Mm. And it was really great to just sort of talk to them and actually 
you know, just that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I, I would think it's sort of beneficial for everyone unless you're just like an agoraphobe or like yeah. horribly like on the spectrum, no disrespect. But like if you're relatively affable. Yeah. And I mean, as and granted, like I hate doing sales because I'm not, you know, as as flashy as I seem outwardly, I'm not a sort of like song and dance like hey come right, right, right. look at my stuff like I'm not that person <laughs> um you know I I I don't have that's that's not my like ego profile or whatever like mm-hmm. if you did whatever sort of like l- like personality chart type right. like it wouldn't be in my despite the fact that you have neon orange yeah hair. I have neon orange hair and, and I've and, seen you in uh, as little as like pasties yeah it's yeah. very true yeah so it's a <laughs> They don't. It doesn't match up. Um, yeah, you contain multitudes. What I do. I do. I'm like an onion. Actually, like speaking of that, do you ever feel like you, when you go into a meeting with like ad exec or whatever type, like suit types, mm-hmm. do you do you ever feel like, you know, they're giving you shade for your appearance, or do do you feel like it's expected, or do you like what's anything like that? You know, it's always it's always tricky. There are some times where I feel like I need to. It's always tricky because I'm never sure if I want to just go full out artist mm. um, or go like really professional, like Mugler or not Mugler, sorry, Westwood suit. Right. Um, I do have Mugler's a, suits. I know. Are great. I actually, I do. I do have a Mugler suit <laughs> now. Too, I need to get a tailor. Waist. Mm-hmm. So good. So good. It's so good. Yeah. It's wide leg pinstripe yeah, off course. the shoulder. It's so yeah, good. Totally. I need to get it tailored and lose like ten pounds, but whatever. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. My Mugler bustier suit. Same. Same. Oh my god. Um, yeah, I was introduced to eBay recently. Bad idea. Um, you know, I, I think it's I think it's really tricky, especially um, especially because I, you know a lot of those people unfortunately are like mediocre white men. Well, here's the thing. So, like, I feel like not a lot of people know about the eyewear world, and so like, including me, to be honest. No, I mean, I just feel like you know, white dude, mediocre white dudes run the world and the universe, and. I was wondering, and like, definitely the eyewear world for sure. Well, that's the thing. Like, do you have like a bunch of sexism in your particular industry as well? And like, what is is there a horror story that you could share with us? I mean, I, as far as like the optical world goes, I don't really, I don't really fuck with the optical optical world. Not for any like sexism reasons, but because they're so. They're so conservative and they're so really they, they're really conservative. They've been really I feel like it's like the perfume world where like they're low key, like so like conservative and crazy. I don't know anything about the perfume world, but that would not surprise me at all. Yeah. Um, you know, they've and they've been so babied by these licensing companies. Right. They, you know, and and also kind of both babied and bullied. Like I feel like it's yeah, a really yeah, sadomasochistic yeah, yeah, yeah. relationship that they have. <laughs> and so, you know, like I um I went to Silmo, which is like the you know the high end Paris eyewear show, and I sat in a. Is is Paris like the the seat of like jiggy eyewear, like or the cradle rather? No, I mean Paris has an optical shop. Paris ha- Paris is to optical shops what Manhattan is to bodegas. Oh, nice! It's insane. Okay. Um, but you know I'm at this I'm at this booth and I have my collection out and you know and and I've and it's uh. One of the things that I take pride in is the work that I'm doing now is really of the most premium quality. Mm. The quality of, you know, my material quality is excellent. The production quality is excellent. The embellishment work is is 
really like there's nobody else in the world doing what I'm doing in that regard. Right. And I for three straight days, I just had like poorly dressed foreigners come up to the booth, not talk to me, pick up my glasses, put them on their face, take like tongue thousand, sticking out yeah. selfies. And then when I would try and talk to them, I'm like, oh, I'm the designer. Like, you know, uh, where are you from? I would love to talk to you about the line. Nine times out of ten, they'd go, who would ever wear this? This who who could I sell this to? No one would buy this and walk away. Wow. And that's so fun. Yeah. And, you know, and and the few times that I've sought out optical accounts, mm. um, they the only times I've ever sought out optical accounts because I've thought, hey, you sell like minded merchandise. Right. This would be a good fit. Blah, blah, blah. They've bought the glasses like a small order, placed a small order, received the product. Some had even come to the studio, had seen the product, received the product sent it all back and demanded a refund because it was like poorly made. And it's like, I don't, why do I need to deal with that? Like, I don't even know what your problem is with, with my product. Why do I need to seek those kind of people out? Mm. Um, I, I will say that I do work with quite a number of optical stores who are, you know, that, that have come, that have, that have like seeked me out. Is that the correct one? Suck me out. Sought you? sought me out. <laughs> Thank you. I'm good with bedazzling, not with English. Um, that have sought me out and really have understood the product and understood the brand and really understand what I'm doing and and what I'm trying to to uh, accomplish. accomplish. Mm-hmm. And and they've never and you know it's been years and they've never had problems. So I know that you also do a lot of sort of collaborations with different brands and friends and. And things like that, like, you know, Victor Luna, Supra, Matahari, Chromat, Zana Bain. How do you negotiate collab terms with friends? You know, it's that's actually been that's actually something that, you know, uh, so just to backtrack, um, I went to Prince Edward Island uh, about a month ago Mm -hmm. to a small factory out there that was started by my mentor's daughter and son-in-law. It looks like a little bed and breakfast on the coast of Prince Edward Island. Like you can walk to look at the seals. And now I have the opportunity to really do like one of a kind bespoke work. Like I, you know, I went there, I, I made, I, I, you know, they, I saw them get cut out on the machine. I hand sanded these fuckers. Mm-hmm. I polished them. Um, you know, I, I cut temples or, or the arms. I, you know, cut the temples out. And then heated them to like to curve them properly. Right, it's like you're b- making a boat. Oh my god, it was amazing. And you know, now that I have these capabilities, when I can think about like doing collaborations in a really more elevated, big, thank mm-hmm. you, thank you for my English. Sure. In a more elevated way, it's actually um, a discussion that I'm going to have with a fellow friend of mine who does eyewear to just say like, you know, because. Uh, my friend, uh, a friend of mine has done a lot of eyewear and he's done, or he hasn't his own line. He's done a lot of collabs and I just need to call him up and be like, how the fuck, like, how the fuck do you do this? Right. Um, what, what are your terms? How do you do this? Is there like a design fee plus whatever? Yeah. Um, but for the collaborations that I've done with friends before. Um, is it just understood? Let's just go into this together. Or is there like, is there money exchanging hands? Like, how does that work? Yeah. I mean, you know, with, um, with somebody like Chromat, where uh, the designer and friend Becca McCarran hired me, like she really hired me. She said, I, I want this to be done. Mm. Um, I want this to be done. Please do it 
This is my vision. This, this yeah. is my vision. You know, I'll p- pay you for your labor and for supplies and whatever. And then if anything gets made, give me your price sheet so I know what to pay you like, right. once you've made the pieces. Um, for, so it's like a, just a very straightforward business very transaction. Straightforward. Yeah, yeah, Which is yeah. nice. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, and with, with somebody like Zana, it was, you know, I'll provide the leather, you provide the glasses, and we'll, you know, we'll both cobble them together. And then if there are any sales on either of our websites, like this is my price, this is my portion of, of mm. payment, this is your portion of payment. Yeah. Are there any friends with whom you would never, ever work again? <sighs> Name them and <laughs> recite the last four digits of their social security number. Um, there, you know what? There are no. There are definitely friends that I. There are some stylists who I used to be friends with who. I now am no longer. I will work with them, but I'm no long would no longer consider them sure. a friend because of how they've uh, treated me. Treated your product specifically, or treated both. Right. There, there was one stylist who was working with a. a a pop star who I don't understand why she's a pop star, but that's neither here nor there. I feel like I know who this is. You, you might know who this is. <laughs> well, off the record that later. Yeah. And she sent back glasses that were broken and covered in white paint. And when I sent her a photo of it and was like, hey, this this happened, your response, you know, yeah. what can we do? I'm, I'll work, I'll negotiate a rate with you. What can we do about this? Not only did she blame it on the PR and said that it wasn't her problem. Wow, But fun. it took yeah. me two months to get a check from her for $200 and you know and she's on Instagram and like new Chanel boots and I hate that when you just know yeah, and, I, and it's like and also bitch I know you're getting a day rate and I know how much you're working because of how much you blasted out there are you mean to tell me you don't have $200 right. for me for this eyewear that I that came back covered that was destroyed yeah you know um so people like that oh and then had the audacity to um refer to me as sweetie and tell me to talk to her agent if I had a problem. Oh, I love that when they do that. Yeah, they I, hide behind their people. Yeah, and you're yeah, just like, don't pander to me. Are you kidding? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, speaking of people, like, do you, you have a lawyer, you have an accountant, do you have a business manager? Like, who who's like the, like, the crew that you need if you're going to start a small business? If you can afford all of these things, mm-hmm. um, I mean, accountant, honestly, accountant is- Is the most important, right? The most important. Yeah. Hands down. Right. Um, uh, you know, it one getting an accountant will save your at like oh my god, it will just save you from a world of trouble. Um, Have you ever been audited? Don't make don't put this <laughs> out into the ether. Don't do that to me. I know. It's, plus, it's like tax season. No, don't. Yeah, don't do that. Um, my my neighbor who is a uh, my neighbor who's always had the tightest books. He's a children's muralist and does all these. You know, he's a, he's been a. a like a custom yeah. home decor person for like 15 years has been audited twice. Shit. Yeah. <gasps> Ooh, yeah Terrifying. So, so scary. Yeah. Um, an accountant is definitely number one. I would say I made the mistake, a, a mistake at the beginning of 2015 when I was dealing with a trademark thing and only, and went with a legal firm to help with this trademark thing that was, I, you know, I wish that I had, asked more asked around more for mm. a recommendation because it was like a three thousand dollar retainer right and i mean it's kind of incredible like the flavor of lawyers that are out there not yeah. to be like the sort of it's such an 80s joke and banal to be like lawyers am i right but like yeah. jesus fucking christ yeah. and i mean you know and really nice wonderful people but <laughs> faint praise yeah really nice people really no it's like super super, mm. super nice people but you know 
people I don't think that you I I felt like I got pressured into working with them because it it was what it looked like I needed to be doing. Right. And it's like no it doesn't. And so now I have this great lawyer who is like an indep- she's like an independent music lawyer. How did you find her? Uh through uh through Erin McGee from Made Me. Oh nice. What's her name? Uh her name is Cassandra Spanger. She's amazing. Okay. Um and you know and just like responsive and gets it and isn't yeah. charging me $300 an hour. Right. Um or three thousand, or retain- it was the three thousand retainer, but it, and I, I think it was three hundred and fifty dollars an hour. Wow. Yeah. So that gets you nothing. Wow. Um. You know. So so find there are so many legal sources out there and lawyers that are that that work that you know I don't want to say small time lawyers because that's insulting to them in their profession. Sure. But you know, in the same way that I'm an independent business, they're an independent. Well, they're business. modular. Yeah. You know exactly. They'll like, just do what you freaking need them to yeah, do. Yeah. Like she, I, she's. You know, I don't know if she has an assi- like an assistant yeah. or an intern or whatever, but it's like it's probably just her, and that's awesome. Did you pretend to have an intern and an assistant when you started out? I still pretend. I still <laughs> do that. Um, She's gonna get right back to you. <laughs> yeah, that was actually a tip I got from a fellow like punk rock designer, where he would email, he would reply to emails as like somebody else, like uh, oh, like hi, I'm I'm whoever's assistant, like, right. blah blah blah, and you know, and it's like. Sometimes if I have to do customer service emails, like I respond to them as somebody as somebody else. Um, it I, just, I kind of love that. I would love if there were like consistent misspellings with your assistant. You're like, and oh, then like, shit. <laughs> do I need to start doing that now? Like, this is her, different syntax. This yeah. is her quirk. Yeah, totally. Are you an LLC, an S corp, or a C corp? I'm an S corp. Why? Um, it. You know, I didn't need to be an LLC. The the difference between LLC and S corp when you're a, a sole proprietor, proprietor? Mm-hmm. is is a matter of like the LLC costs more. Yeah, um, I know. I have an LLC. It was the stupidest thing. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So for me, it, as a as a single person, it made sense to be an S corp, and I get the same legal benefits and protection and protection as I would if I was. An How LLC. much does it cost to have an S corp in a year? Oh man, I don't know. Damn. All right. I'm uh, just kidding. <laughs> so yeah, it is tax season, and tax season is scary. How, are your particular taxes super scary? Um, no, it's pretty, you know, it's pretty straightforward. I Why? also, are you just like really diligent? Well, I, I, my accountant and my accountant <sighs> does everything. That's so nice. Yeah. Like it's, you know, I, he, he does everything. He, well, not he, his, his office does right. everything. Or his fake assistant. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I've spoken to his, I've yeah, spoken yeah. to his assistant. His assistant is very real. Um, yeah. So, you know, I have an accountant that does everything and I think that, you know, and and I'm also I'm very good about like using my business card, my business credit card and my personal credit card for the things they're supposed to be. Yeah, used that's for. the first thing I did, too. You know, like you can't you can't be frivolous with that shit. No, you really, really like can't. my toilet paper is always bought with my personal card. Well, expiry. also, it's like you can't charge it to the game with a sort of like <laughs> laissez faire attitude when yeah. you are the game. When you are the game. Exactly. <laughs> like. You know, I I do that with taxis. I'm like, oh, I had to take a cab home. I'm charging this to the game, but it's like know, it's, it's still so my cute. game. I know. Meanwhile, it's Uber Pool, and you're like, I'm gonna share this. Yeah, with you. I'm gonna split the fare with you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so in terms of just really quickly, um, this is a little dry, but what, like, what sort of um online store back end shit do you use and like what what website stuff do you use are you are you squarespace too i'm squarespace for my both my personal karenrosegold.com and my uh for just for that sort of like this is me as a person this is where you can find all of my various things and then i've 
almost launched i mean you can go look at it i've almost launched um amorierprojects.com which mm. is all one word no hyphen and that houses all of my all of my projects right. all of all of the custom work that i've done be it like a teacup for lady gaga to like a headband for harper's bazaar or right. the missy elliott stuff um but the my website itself was built by people mm. uh, that are, are not they me. expensive they um they're re- they're pretty reasonable it's a husband and wife team that i actually know i know the wife from pat field um and so she is and they actually both they met long before they worked at milk together but they both worked at milk mm. together and he's a programmer and she's like the art director oh i love that yeah it's really great um and then the web the actual web shop is shopify um shopify is amazing that's what everybody uses yeah yeah Yeah. um i actually i was with big cartel uh for the first few years Mm -hmm. now that big cartel now looks so much better and i wish that it had looked that good when i decided i didn't want to use it anymore how much does big cartel cost i mean all of them are like 36 39 a month something like that or you can yeah or you can like pay in bulk for the year and save like a month of whatever um i mean you know and those things especially if you're doing like you know and and this is actually something i would i would uh highly encourage anybody to do if they're if, if they're working in in commerce yeah um focus on your online sales why make that your because you know, the retail environment is so fickle. Mm. Um, you know, if if the Russian, if, you know, when Russia has an economic crisis. Also, China is LOL right now. So that's going to be a whole thing. That's going to be a whole thing. Yeah. You know, when all of these countries are in these economic crises, they're going to, that's going to fuck up your, your, how, your money. Right. But the individuals in those countries that can still afford your stuff will come will to still you. come yeah. to you and they're not going to care if they have to pay forty dollars to ship that shit overseas right. like let's be real um and also why wouldn't you want to make retail money on your shit yeah like your own I, shit yeah. yeah if i could make if i could make something and sell it for eight hundred dollars as opposed to three hundred and seventy five dollars why wouldn't i want to sell it for eight hundred dollars and that's how it works in terms of retail right they just take more than half and that's it yeah and you know and and i i don't you know there are a lot of a lot of people that are like oh retailers are greedy they're greedy but like that's that's the business that's how they make their money they have they there's rent yeah brick and mortars are brick and mortar is expensive as fuck upside down smiley face yeah um so you know i think that there's this whole sort of like you know, when when people like Casper or and granted, I have a Casper mattress and I love it. But like when Casper and Warby Parker that when their whole argument is, oh, retailers are greedy. It's like that's how business works. Sure. Like how else are they going to pay their employees and keep their stores open and but advertise? basically what you're saying is the barriers to entry and becoming your own retailer are so low at this point. Why wouldn't you so just fucking do it? Yeah, low. Exactly. I mean, I know I know a number of brands that don't have full e-com and it's like yo you have a hundred thousand instagram followers why don't and we'll we'll off the record that later like it's like why don't you well it's like magazines in the internets i'm like really guys yeah (laughs) it's taking this long okay yeah yeah yeah, exactly (laughs) did we not go through 2008 together exactly and honestly like speaking of 2008 the reason i was able to become financially independent is because when i made those chain glasses that rihanna wore that everybody fucking knows 
the only place you could find them was on my website. So if you wanted them, you had to buy them from me. You know what? I just realized 2008 was a fucking bloodbath. And that's when you launched. Oh, yeah. yeah. I launched. Oh, that's in, hilarious. I in the most major <laughs> economic crisis. I launched in the, the last big economic crisis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember. Nothing about my trajectory makes sense. Yeah, I got whatsoever. shit canned that year. It was so, so incredible. Yeah. It was very liberating. So I have a final-ish question, final adjacent. I probably will have two more but um okay. how do you re-up your brain how do i re-up because i know I, that you, you I sit you down some da- some days and you're like i'm done i have nothing like how do i <laughs> do, like, like collection um i mean i'm you do you mean how do you mean that because I, I feel like i, I could mean, take that like, in so many ways you know because like when i okay so sometimes when i write fiction which is impossible it's just like where does it, you have to like make that shit up and similarly when you design especially the ki- type of designing that you're doing you, you have to make that shit up. Like, how do you fill information into your brain so you have, like, all those monomer building blocks that you can, like, you know, chew on and then, like, create? Uh, for me, the thing, the thing that sort of never fails, because one of the things with me is I'm not sitting here, like, you know, I'm not taking from Dolce & Gabbana, who, well, granted, they take from me. I know, the I'm, flowers. Yeah, yeah uh, I the flowers. Oh, I know, so I know. Um, <laughs> You're you know. too far for me to hug right now, but I feel you. Oh, thanks. Um, you know, I'm not, I don't have the ability to make little porcelain baby heads to right. put them on some sunglasses. Um, so, you know, I'm, and I like working within limitations. I find that to be really um, inspiring and really challenging. Sure. So for me, one of the best ways to re-up my brain is to go out and source materials and go and see what's there and and find, you know, find an embellishment or a new crystal color or, you know, whatever it may be that I've never used before. So and, there's a Dadaist element to yeah. your work. Yeah, 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 yeah. totally. Um, which I studied them too. Um, thanks, NYU. It paid off. Um, yeah. So, you know, for me, it's, it's really it's about going out like, you know, I there's this one uh, crazy closeout place in uh, in the 30s in Manhattan. And it's it's all dead. St- it's it's like five rooms on the second floor of this building of dead stock. Shit. Jewel- <laughs> shit. Just dead stock. Shit. There's a room of chains. There's a room of crystals. Part of what? the crystal room has chandelier elements. In What's it. it called? It's called CJ's. Okay. And everybody knows about it, right? No. Yes and no, actually. Okay. Um, but you know, and 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 the rooms are piled seven, eight feet high with open face cardboard square cardboard boxes just filled with stuff and you just have to climb these mountains and move the boxes so you to have sort to of, dig through it's the you're crates. really digging for buried treasure. yeah yeah exactly dusty fingers volume 18 yeah and there's yeah. there's a tiny hallway in each room it sounds a little nightmarish i'm not gonna lie to you it's it's all of the things. like i just keep hearing like organs and minor chords it's like all of the things um and you know and i went in there I, I was like really frustrated and like I was really uninspired about this new collection and I went in there and found these beautiful like gold floral pieces mm. that had a little like the center you could put like a, a cabochon in it. Um, what the hell's a cabochon? It's like a it's like a flat it's a flat back non crystal. Um, Is it like a paillette? No, no, because a paillette's a, a sequin. Paillette's a, a paillette's a giant sequin. Um, like a a cabochon could be like a flat back pearl. 
Oh, yeah. so it's not it's like a semi-circle totally. Thing. Oh, got it, got it. Yeah, got it, got semi-circle. It, yeah. So you can like do a little glue gun action to the back of it. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Although I don't glue gun on any of my stuff. Well, of course not, because you're not Heather. <laughs> <laughs> Who I interned for as well. Just by the way. jokes for three people. <laughs> that is jokes for three people. Um, so you know, and I found these beautiful like, like oh man, I can't even like. It's like this these metal worked wire flowers, mm, like filigree. Yeah, yeah, very filigree esque, and um, and. That really became sort of the the I guess the mustard seed of an idea. Yeah, yeah, and and it's it's really heavily influenced my entire collection. And then I found these trims that I had used before that I I had wanted to use previously, and realized that I could break. It was these like larger trim pieces that are connected by like a little you know circle whatever you know like mm-hmm. the little fulcrum. Yeah, <laughs> and um, thank you for Englishing me and. Uh, and, you know, and realized that I could actually go in and, and, and cut them into smaller pieces and break them up and just sort of combined all of these elements together. And it's uh, my next collection is one that I'm like really proud of. Like it's it's really sick. Yeah, it's it's great. So here's the thing. Yeah. Everybody says that New York is over, <laughs> especially for the artistic class. Um, can you still be an artist in New York? I mean, I'm doing it. Um, I'm doing it. My my boyfriend does it pretty well. Um, my boyfriend is Nick Catch does. <laughs> Produ- pro- hey Nick, producer, producer and DJ and co-founder of Fools Gold Records in Brooklyn with a track. <laughs> I love you. You're very cute. Um, you know, I think that if if you want to be a starving artist, no, you can't do that here. But if you if you're pragmatic AF, yeah. If you're, but also like. And, you know, and, and I, we actually, uh, Nick and I watched Vinyl yesterday, mm. which although. Um, the al- HBO show. The HBO mm. show. And although it was, it was a bit of a sleepwalk in terms of, of ideas. Like, it, I feel like Scorsese was kind of phoning it in as far as like mm-hmm. character development and all that sure. shit. It was still entertaining. So, I watched, and you know, and, and Nick is very much someone who he's like, you know, I wouldn't want to live in the 70s New York because like what a terrible time. Right. You know, like he's like racism, sexism, like exactly. all of these yeah, awful things. T- totally. Um, so much pee. Yeah. And I'm like, did you read Patty Smith's Just Kids? Exactly. Like, wouldn't you want that? But, you know, yeah, it would be really awesome to live in a giant loft space, but you might not have plumbing. Right, so I right. think. You know, it's sort of like now people are like, oh, yeah, where is it? What what Detroit is it in Detroit where like all of the houses are like one hundred dollars? Well, also high water. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, if if you want that lifestyle, you can find it. But like there are other sacrifices you're going. Right. To have you'd to have make. you'd be living in Sunset Park. Yeah. And, you know, and so fine. So do that or go to Bushwick. Or go to whatever's past Bushwick because I feel like that's expensive now right. too. Right, that's also Queens though. <laughs> oh, that's that's true. I was, that's true. I was born in. I lived in Queens for the first year of my life. Um. So, who is the one person if they wore your designs, you would be just happy to expire and die? Oh man. Um. There are. Th- well, you know what? There are maybe four. Okay, go. Um. And and I I used to not talk about who I wanted because you would jinx it. Yeah. yeah but honestly, super, like yeah. these people are not. It's not happening. So it's fine. Um, Miss Piggy. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cher. Oh. Elton John. Henry Rollins. I feel like Henry Rollins is doable. You know, and the the thing that makes Henry Rollins a really exciting challenge is that he's the diametric opposite 
of, of, of everything that do. I do. I mean, like, yes, there's a lot True. of overlap in the sense that it's like I'm living by my own rules. The, it's yeah, completely the ethos. DIY. Yeah, the yeah. ethos is there. Yeah. But the fact that I'm creating like a true luxury product that like has no <laughs> necessity. Like, yes, I wear yeah, has he, necessity in, right. in the sense that like, but like the type of product that I'm making has no necessity whatsoever. Mm. And Henry fucking Rollins, like... He's dad as fuck. He's so dad. But you know what? He was in the Gap ads in the 90s. So I feel like... Right, right, right. And he's friends with RuPaul. So I feel like... Do, 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 do. I feel like it might work. And I'm, I'd be like, look, try these on. They were named after Lux Interior. That's cool, right? You know? So well, Yeah, let's put it out into the world. It's like the secret. Yeah. So. Well, anyway... Hi, Henry. That, that, yeah. Hi, Henry. Um, that's it for us. Thank you so much for coming on and talking. Thank you so much for having me. It's Super a true, fun. it's a true honor. Like I'm, I, I, wait, I'm going to finish by embarrassing myself. Um, so Mary and I actually became friends cause I kind of stalked her for a well, while. Well, you accosted me. I accosted you for, I accosted you, I accosted you at two parties. So Mary, um, I, I'm a big fan of becoming friends with people you admire. Um, it's, I feel like it's a real, it's w one of the quickest ways to better yourself is to become friends with people that you admire. And I had been reading Mary's writing um, for as long as I had been aware of it. Are you calling me old to my face right now? <laughs> yes, you're so old. Um, and, and was just so, I was so blown away by your ability to, by what you could get out of the English language. Mm. And was just so, like everything about you is just so impressive. So I accosted you at a house party and like shoved my business card in your face and then accosted you again at a party at Complex hmm. on like that second floor open oh, space yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah. Mark's office. Yeah. And then finally through Facebook, there was a photo that our mutual friend, um, the amazing stylist, DJ and occasional writer, uh, Rose Garcia had posted of me. I was bringing glasses down to a photo shoot and I was wearing a jacket made out of rabbit that I no longer have and holding a rabbit and you thought that that was great. And I was like, Mary, one day I'm going to make you my real friend. And you were like, why don't we go to coffee next week? And we went to coffee and I was wearing, I don't even know why I had them. I was wearing the leggings with like the screen printed jeans on them. Sure. Yeah. And we've somehow. That was very like Eastern European of you. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, that was a Patfield purchase. And yeah, we've somehow been friends. Um, yeah. I, I was, a, I, I really worked hard at our friendship and uh well you know the only reason i had you come on is to tell everyone that story okay <laughs> admirable and incredibly impressive i am no i'm just kidding um, yeah. well that's very kind and similarly you know like hi we're buds yeah we are yeah i did it i, I really did it we're you guys buds. it took okay. like three years of hard work also hey it. cool job okay <laughs> bye bye i'm in love with my life.